Well, tonight I, I particularly, uh, as I mentioned a couple weeks ago, I've been reading through the Psalms, reading through Proverbs, and particularly the life of Solomon, knowing that he put together many of these, wrote many of these Proverbs himself, and also put together some others. So we're going to take a look at Proverbs tonight. If you open your word, um, there, there's a, as I was reading through those in my uh, morning devotions, I, it just seems to be reoccurring themes. Lots of them. I, uh, some I'd like to mention are, you know, you see the goodness of God to his children and, and particularly those who are obedient to his ways. And it, and it just, Solomon just puts that in words time and time and time again. Um, he also reminds us that there will be eternal justice for the believers, but there will also be eternal judgment for unbelievers. And, and we know what one we want to be a part of. And probably the thing that, that I appreciate is that he talks a lot about how God's going to lead us through the difficulties we face. And, but tonight, in particular, I want to take another, a look at some other things. One of the things that I noticed time and time again, almost chapter after chapter, uh, was here, you know, if you will, we have a, a man who is as rich as anyone's ever been in the world and as smart as anybody's ever been in the world. And he gives us lots of proverbs, particularly uh, as we start looking at uh, wealth and look at money and look at spending and giving. And... Who better to do it than God through this man who is uh, the wealthiest and the wisest man that ever lived? And so as we look at those, and I like to, I tried to go through there and pick out some things. Uh, is, uh, there are 10 verses that I picked out particularly that tell us to make sure we take care of the poor. And um, we have a weird way of doing that in this country. <clears throat> I don't think God intended it to be done like it is in America. He wanted us to do it. He wanted the church to do it. And he tells us, as, as we'll see tonight, that he blessed us so we could do that. It's also interesting, at 12 times he talks about the lazy person and what they're not going to have. He must have had some lazy folks around him. There was nine times I picked out where he talked about giving. Eleven times where he talked about being greedy for gain. And there's eight times, you know, where he talked about how we, we as his people uh, and, and people of righteousness would be blessed because of that righteousness. But I want to start in Proverbs 8. 8.8. 8. Proverbs 8.8. 8. All the words of my mouth are, right with, are with righteousness. Nothing crooked or perverse is in them. They are all plain to him who understands. Now, as you, I'm kind of going into the middle of a thought here, and it's, you know, he's talking about how important and how excellent wisdom is to us. But I, I want to pull out just a few things here. Verse 10, receive my instruction and not silver. So here we have the richest man saying, it's all right to be, you know, it's nice to have silver. Remember how plentiful it was? As plentiful as a stone. I can't even comprehend that, because remember when we had the series on the wilderness? All I saw was stone. And his silver was more plentiful than that. And then he says, and acknowledge, and knowledge rather than choice gold. Not just gold, but choice gold. He's saying those are important things. For wisdom is better than rubies, and all, all the things one may desire cannot be compared to her, her being wisdom. And so Solomon, I don't know what time in his life he wrote this, but at, at, he, he's telling us those other things are nice, but in the bottom, the bottom line is that wisdom is better. And remember, he had it all, and yet in the midst of that, wisdom is the thing that we want to have. So tonight I want to take a look at that. Um, let's go back to 
Proverbs 30. Now, this is a proverb that he did not write. It's written by a guy called A-G-U-R, Agur. I'm sure that's not proper Hebrew, but that's close as I can get. And it, as you, it, you know, look at that, let's go down to verse 5. And one of the things that Solomon did, not near as much as what he wrote, is he, he brought important sayings that he knew of uh, and, and put them here for us to read. And he said, verse 5, every word of God is pure. Think about that. Every word you're, you have before you is pure. Can't say that about all the words I hear anymore. He is a shield to those who put their trust in him. And this morning I told Courtney, put your trust in him. I know it's tough. I wouldn't look forward to what she's facing, but put your trust in him. Verse 6, do not add to his words. <laughs> we have a lot of people twisting and adding in this day and age. Don't add to his words, lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. Two things I request of you, you, capital Y, He's two things that occurs a requesting of the Lord. Deprive me not before I die. So, if you will, we have one guy talking, but the guy who put it in here, Solomon, who had everything, felt this was so important it needed to be included. Re Deprive me not before I die. Remove falsehoods and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. So, a man with handful of silver and gold says what? I don't want it. <laughs> Isn't it amazing? We can work so hard for something and we can get it and we think, what was that all about? And, and the, other, the other way it can go is, and I remember somebody talking to John Rockefeller and he just made another, I forget, five or six million on some deal he'd made and they said, how, how, many, how many millions enough? And he said, oh, just one more. More we get, more we want. Crazy, isn't it? Feed, and he says, give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food allotted to me. Now, I'm assuming that he had some pretty fancy food in front of him, right? Feed me with food allotted to me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of the Lord. And so here we have a, a gentleman giving us words of wisdom that Solomon thought were important enough that we should uh, listen to them. I want to ask you a question. This has bugged me for some time anyway, so uh, uh, knowing we have people here full of wisdom, maybe you can help me out. <clears throat> if it's so, that we'd be better off with just enough, <laughs> just enough. Why is it that God put us in America with all this material wealth and all this stuff? Why are we here, Lenny? What, what, what is this? What's this all about? Don't bother you, right? It does bother me, you know. Why, why, why is this? Why, why have we been blessed so? <laughs> I remember when I first was old enough to realize what people were praying of people time and time again. Thank God I was born in America, not Africa. Really? As pastors uh, been preaching for 27 years, we, we may not have silver as much as a stone, but we have everything, and we appreciate nothing <laughs> to the point that we really mess up quite a bit. And I was, as I was thinking about that, I, you, you can turn there if you want, but back in Genesis 12, 1 to 3, um, I, I was reading in Galatians, and that's what kind of sent me back here. In Genesis 1 to 3, it's, it talks about the, the blessing of Abraham. You remember that? The Abrahamic blessing. Ah, let's go back and read it. I, Genesis, all right, 12. So here we have a man, an obedient man, who left 
mom, dad, left his country, and where did he go? He wasn't sure. He was just following where God told him to go. And once he gets separated there, this is the promise that God gave him. Now the Lord had said to Abraham, get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house to the land I will show you. Now how would you like it to go up the trip away and get a trip ticket for that? He says, I'm going to make you a great nation. And how many of them was there left? He and his wife and a lot, right? Pretty much, and maybe some servants. I'm going to make you a great nation. I will bless you, and I'm going to make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. Now, as we think of that blessing, is that just for the Jews? Or does that include us? I see you shaking your head. Speak. Is it for us? <laughs> well, let's read verse 3. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Well, the thing that sent me back there, the thing that made me take a look at that, was a verse back in Galatians. Right, let's go back there, Galatians 3. It's really in here. And, of course, we have Paul speaking to the Galatian church who started out in faith and are now kind of getting to the point that they're working their way through. And verse, or chapter 3, verse 13. Verse 13. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on the tree. And I've read that, and, and, but somehow I didn't connect it to the next verse. The next verse says that, or if you will, so that, okay, the blessing of Abraham might come where? On us, right? The blessing of Abraham that we just read is ours. It might come upon us, upon the Gentiles, and it says we end, but by Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. And so it's basically what I hear him saying is we, we, we have moved from a point where we had um, our righteousness depending on us following the law to now it's by faith. And, and you and I, being God's people, we have that promise of, of Abraham. And let's keep on reading. Brethren, I speak in the manner of men, though it is only a man's covenant, yet it is confirmed. No one annuls or adds to it. Now to Abraham and his seed. And that seed has what? What's the first letter? A capital S meaning what? God's seed, right? So he's talking about God. Who is God's seed? Jesus, right? So if we have Christ, we're in. And he says, he, he does not, well, now to Abraham and his seed where these promises made, he does not say, and to seeds as of many, but as to one, now to your seed, who is Christ. And this I say that the law, which was 430 years later, and we often forget that Abraham and that Abrahamic covenant was 430 years before Moses and the Ten Commandments and that covenant. And so, if you will, it's a, it's a covenant based on faith that you and I are also a part of. And 430 years later cannot annul a covenant that was confirmed before by God in Christ that it should make the promise of no effect. In other words, the law did not wipe out the promise of faith. Verse 18, for if the inheritance is of the law, it's no longer a promise, but God gave it to Abraham, how? It says by promise, I, I say a better word, be by faith. 
And you remember back in Hebrews, he, was, he talked about his righteousness being by faith, right? And so here we have a, a situation that where we're at a point that it's not by works, but it's by faith, and we are blessed, and we have a blessing in this country. And I, as I was thinking of that, I just uh, read recently a, a book about the the settlement of the United States and, and the things that the, some of our pioneer great-great-great-grandfathers and grandmothers went through. And uh, it's amazing to me that here I am born <laughs> into a blessed land which our forefathers bought with much sacrifice. And if you will, we could each have a lifestyle and the life story, I'm sure we could talk about the times that we didn't have all we wanted. All of you got one of them? But it's not every day, right? We're, we're a blessed nation. And as, as I read the, the accounts and voice of the martyrs and, and the, you know, the Jesus film project, I read about people who have lack every day, every day. But you and I are blessed, and we don't have, we, yeah, we could, we could talk a little bit about lack, but we really don't know lack. We really don't know lack. We're blessed. So the Abrahamic blessing reminds us to, to be a blessing because we're blessed. And therein lies what I want to talk about tonight. We're a blessed nation, and the reason for that is what? So we can be a blessing. That's our job. Now, um, this morning, Pastor, I wanted to get up and say, I got a word that will fit right in what you're talking about. <laughs> and and uh, if those who are here this morning, I'm hoping some of this will, you'll remember some of that. Let's go back to Proverbs 19. Nineteen seventeen, actually. As I've read some of the secular proverbs, I'm always kind of amazed at, um, uh, I don't know, maybe the lack of depth sometimes that are in some of those. But as I read God's proverbs, I'm always amazed at the depth. 17. He who has pity on the poor, so if you will, and herein lies a real problem for me. Who is poor in America? The guy standing down at the corner with a sign, I'll work for food that's all dirty and bent. Maybe. I'm sorry, my son works with a lot of them, and they make more money than some of you off of us. And, and does that mean I don't take care of them? Not necessarily. If God says, I want you to give this to Carol, I need to be ready to do that, whether she thinks she has that need at that point or not. But look what he's saying there. He who has pity on the poor does what? Lends to the Lord. Now, Ruth, if I lend you something, what's that mean? <laughs> I want something back. That puts some responsibility on us, doesn't it? Or is it on the Lord? Let's read on. He who has pity on the poor lends to the Lord. And he, capital H, meaning the Lord will do what? He's going to do the payback. Now, if I give Ruth $10 and she says, come weekend, I'll have $10, I'll give it back. I'll, you know, she's going to give me back $10. When, when we lend the Lord and he gives back, it might be 10 it might be 100 it might not even be money. Okay? But he'll give back. So let's think about that as, as we're looking again at what? Blessed people 
who are blessed so we can be a blessing. Uh, there becomes lots of responsibility. As, as, you be, as you become blessed by the Lord, and I had a, a substitute mom for a while before my mom came up here, and she was a stickler at helping people. And she could tell when somebody needed help, but she always sat down with them and talked to them. I'm going to give you this. I'm going to help you with this. But the bottom line is, when I give it to you, you have responsibility. Now think of our system in America. What's it like? <laughs> I'm going to give it to you so you can live like this the rest of your life and bring your kids up like this and your grandkids like this. And that's the fight we're in, really. It, it's a philosophical fight right now. You know, it, it's a, it, if you will, it's an ungodly thing that we're promoting. And some leftists are saying this is the way it ought to be. And there's nothing in here that says that. That doesn't mean, and, and what do they get up and say? Well, you don't, want, you don't love the poor. You don't take care of the poor. That's not what it's saying, is it? We do. We do have responsibility to take care of the poor. We have that responsibility, but we don't take care of them so they can stay there. We take care of them so they can get going. And he, he will pay back what he has given. So, I want to make sure I say this right. This is perhaps the clearest indication to me that identifying God himself with the plight of the poor. So if you will, God knows the poor are out there, right? And he knows they need to be taken care of. And he's put that responsibility on who? Us. Does that talk just about finances? No. Talking about lots of things. And if you will, the help that we give the poor becomes God's own debt to back to the giver. Think about that. Is that what God's saying? You give it, it's my responsibility to pay it back. That's what he's saying to me. Now, so what do we do? We write a check and send it to him? Are we happy with that? Come on, be honest. Are you happy? We're not happy we took care of him, are we? Honestly, are we? Oh, yeah, I'm glad that we're able to pay them, but as a whole, we're not happy about it. Matter of fact, we complain about it. And if you will, it's pretty much one-sided, isn't it? Let's go on. Let's go to 14, chapter 14, 20. I'm going to go to 20. I want to start with the second half of 20. But the rich has many friends. <laughs> you ever notice that? I think for me when I was teaching, the worst place I could see that was in school. The, the popular ones, the ones with money, had all kind of friends, and there were always those that sat back. And... The rich has many friends, and he who disciplines his neighbor's sins. He who despises his neighbor's sins, but he who has mercy on the poor, what happens to him? Now, the word there says it's happy, but what that really means is he's blessed. He's got joy down in here. That's what it really is saying. That's what that word really means. But my translation says happy is he. So if you want to be happy, how do you do that? Make sure you're taking care of the ones God gives you to take care of. And if he puts people in your path, make sure we're, we're doing that. And so what's the life lesson in that? We as humans, naturally, we kind of defer to the rich. And <laughs> why do we do that? Oh, just maybe I might help me out later. He might give me back something, right? We want to be friends of them because, you know, it just might be that they'll be able to help us out. 
But caring for the poor will be rewarded with joy, inner joy. And that joy, that payback comes from who? That comes from the Lord. And so, <laughs> have you ever given to somebody and then wish you probably hadn't done that? Because you just wasn't, it, it didn't seem right, whatever. Yeah, I've been there. Um, there's a very interesting principle in Proverbs 11:24. Go there. He says, There is one who scatters, yet does what? Increases more. Now, what's that say? There's one who scatters, but increases more. Not all at once now. What's that mean? So there's somebody who gives out and they increase more because of that activity. And there is one who withholds more than's right, but that leads where? To poverty. Have you ever seen it? <laughs> I, I've, we have situations like that in agriculture. I'm going to talk, I'm sorry, but, you know, that's just where I am. And it, it's amazing to me that there are some people who do everything they can to keep all they get. And the bag's got holes in it, Pastor. There's nothing left. And it's the craziest thing. And there are those who give and give and give, and their bag just keeps getting bigger and bigger so that they can give and give and give. I kind of like God's way of doing things. Verse 29, the generous soul will be made what? Now, that's not talking about happy right there. That's not talking about joy. It's talking about what? Moolah. Okay? Now, in case, <laughs> in case we get the wrong idea, all you have to do is just concentrate on that and try to, and, and there's, I, I think, four different places in there where he says, that, you know, he that gets greedy for game, so he gives in order to get. You ever heard that principle before? <laughs> TV and radio is pretty good at it, aren't they? How's that work out? Not too good. It's not God's way. The generous soul will be made rich, and he who waters will also be watered himself. Verse 26, I remember a time, <clears throat> you know, if, if you produce food, you ought to get paid for the production cost, okay? I'm sorry, but, you know, a little agriculture economics. But there, there are agriculture, is any place I know where you, 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 you produce a product and then you take it and let somebody give what they will for it. If, if I'm going to make um, shovels, I put a price on them, right? You either take it or like it, you leave it. You don't, you know, if you don't like it, tough. Try that. When I take a lamb up the market, you know how much I get for it? Whatever the check says in four days. I have no idea what's going to be that day. If it's a day when the buyers aren't there, <laughs> it, it can be a bad scene. But it could be a good scene if all the buyers are there. In agriculture, any place I know to do that. But he's saying, and I remember a time where we were so concerned about the price. We, we, were, we were working all day producing milk and selling it for less than we had in it. Now, kind of reminds me of the guy that was hauling hay from West Virginia, buying it down there for a dollar, coming up here, selling it for a dollar. He did that for about two weeks, and he sat down at the supper table one night after being up here. He said, Honey, I'm sorry, but we're going to have to get a bigger truck. Well, we don't need a bigger truck sometimes, but there are those who, it says, people, I mean, uh, there are those who withhold, and, and as they're withholding, God's favor drops away from them. And I think, you know, as a whole, we, we need to, to realize that 
if God blesses us, he's blessed us so that we will allow that blessing to, uh, to be a part. 13.7, I want to go there a minute. There is one who makes himself rich, yet has nothing. <laughs> I thought of a lot of examples I could put in here, but I'm afraid some of you know them, so I'm not. And there's one who makes himself poor, yet has great riches. I want to be the last guy. I want to be someone who has great riches because God's done it, not because of what I've done. I've, I've never really watched this program. I've seen, I've seen it displayed in life, but there's, a, I guess, a program called Hoarders. Have you seen that? And people just bring, you know, keep gathering and gathering and gathering and gathering, and for what purpose? So when they're laying here, their kids have a chance to get the dumpster and pitch it all, right? God help us. So what's the life lesson? To me it says, if I'm a generous person, I will be blessed, I will be happy, I will be a joyful person. Have you ever given something and felt the satisfaction as you walked away? Remember back in Proverbs 14:21b, he who has mercy on the poor, he's what? Happy, joyful, he's joyful. I want to take you one step further on this. Let's walk this in a little deeper in this principle. Have you ever been on the end where you had to receive something? And you have no way of paying it back. How's that feel? <laughs> Not too joyful sometimes, right? I mean, you can be grateful, but you kind of, particularly we guys, you know, we feel a little bit shame. Um, you know, we, we, we think that we should have been doing this so we didn't have this problem, and we have it. Um, I would say that as, as you think about Proverbs, there's a lot in it about giving, but there's not much in it about receiving. And that's a, if you're going to have a giver, you've got to have what? You've got to have a receiver. Somebody's got to take it. And a receiver may be humbled, and their pride may take a hit. You ever been there? And we, we, as I mentioned, we men spatially seem like something about our worth has been lessened. Um, so think about this a minute. Why has this principle uh, been so clearly outlined here by Solomon in, this, in these Proverbs? I think that, you know, our human nature, our old man is, if... If I'm given something, I want to do what? I want to give it back to you. That's our old nature. Isn't it? And <laughs> sometimes we need that humbled. Even if it's grandma receiving the last coins that her grandson has because she's loved by him, <laughs> and you know you're taking the last one, or it might be somebody in the church. Man, I remember being with the Navajo out in Arizona, passed it, the plate, just because if you're part of God's family, you ought to be looking for a way to give, right? And here was this dear, dear grandmother. And when the plate went by her, you could hear something clunk. Just because I was there in the position I was in, we found out what that was. It was her gold ring that had been a family heritage forever. If you will, she gave the last thing she had. She put the two bits. Remember the lady and the, the widow? She put everything she had. This gal put everything she had. Now, what's your tendency in a situation like that? Well, I want to give it back to her, right? But he said, if we're a giver, we are what? We're blessed and we're joyful. Now, if I give that back to her, what happened? 
I took away our blessing, didn't I? So as you think about this principle, how do we handle that? Now, you know, I've recently been involved in a situation where I knew somebody received something that was much more than they had any chance of giving back. And they not only were humbled, they were almost embarrassed to take it, that kind of thing. And yet, knowing the situation, knowing that they, were, they, they needed to take it. Now, how can they be blessed? How can they be blessed, the receiver? How can they be blessed? How's it going to happen? And so here we have the receiver feeling a little bit downhearted, kind of searching the bottom of their pockets and there's nothing in there, you know, to give back. So how, how do we handle that? And the first guy I ever heard mention, have you, have you ever heard the, the principle pay forward? First guy I ever remember mentioning that was a, not a preacher, but it was a, a fired up football coach by the name of Woody Hayes, which some of you may have heard of. And there was a lot of things that Woody Hayes did that nobody had any idea of. Of course, everybody remembers the fists, right? <laughs> Remembering Colcock and that player who had just intercepted a pass who ended the game they were going to lose. And I want, I want to, um, if you will, to be a blessed receiver, then there has to be opportunity for that person to become what? A giver. God will provide that. Now, you know, if it's a, I don't know, let's take an example. Let's say somebody is uh, given money to go to school. If that's the case, they can't give that money back. They're going to school. That's the reason they got the money, right? So what can they give back? And I think therein lies the, the, the difficulty that we sometimes, uh, as um, secular old nature in us, wants to give back equal to what we got, right? We want to we give it back. But it may be that that person's way of giving back may be nothing more than opening a door for an elderly person who's got a cane and can't get things all done. And that may be just one part of what they do, or, you know, a mother with three kids and two sacks of groceries trying to get into their car, and you're there, and you could, you know, you could help them in. So, you know, if, if you will, um, if, if we're a receiver, God will give us opportunities to be a giver. He'll do that. We need to look for those just like if we're blessed, we look for opportunities to be a giver. We need also to be someone who, who has that opportunity now as a receiver to give back. I want to go to John 6. This is not just a principle, if you will, in the, the Old Testament. John 6. Well, that's behind Luke, not in front of it. John 6, 1. Very familiar story. Let me just rush through it. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. There, a great multitude followed him because they saw his signs, which he was performed on those who were diseased or were sick. And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. The Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and saw a great multitude coming toward him. And he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But this, this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he'd do. And Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may have a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, You have to love this. You have to back up and see Mom sending off this lad, and he's carrying a little brown bag or something. 
And what's in it? <laughs> Five barley. Barley being a grain that poor people used for their food, for their grain, for their, uh, to eat. And so here he is, Philip's, and uh, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish. <clears throat> I wonder why he said that. <laughs> Think about that a minute. He just looked out, there's 5,000 men and women and kids. And he said, we, I know somebody's got five, five loaves and two fish. Is that a statement of faith? I'm not sure. But it's pretty amazing to me. And it's written in there for some reason, right? And I could speculate, but that's it, it amazing to me. Now, so here we have a, a child who's been sent out by his mom, and he's got his lunch with him, or his supper with him. And this big old disciple is going to come over and say, what? I'd like to have your five loaves and two fish. Think about what's being set up here. Amazing. And this youngster, this young lad, I don't know how old he was, but I don't think he was very old based on, on the context. And it says, when, when well, there is a lad who has five bar of those, two small fish, probably little salted fish that, that they could keep and not have, a, not spoil. But then he asked a real serious question. What's that? Well, what are they among so many? And Jesus said, make the people sit down. You have to really like this. You talk about the impossible being worked in front of these people. Sit, have everybody sit down. There was much grass in the place, so the men sat in number about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples, and the disciples to those sitting down, and likewise of the fish. <clears throat> now, I'd like to have seen it. <laughs> I'm sorry, Chase, I'd like to have seen it. We've got two small fish, and when you and I are up here breaking them off, and we break them off, and they just keep breaking them off. Two fish... 10,000, 12,000. You know how many that is? That's a whole bunch of people. I wonder what that lad was thinking right now. <laughs> uh, he gave thanks. He started breaking them. And likewise, the fish, as much as they wanted. Everybody ate as much as they wanted. How was it a graduation party and I looked at some at the, yesterday and I looked at some of the plates that people were preparing and that evidently is how much they wanted and I'm thinking about this five loaves and two fish and 12, 14,000 platefuls amazing, amazing to me and there's a lot we could say about that I mean there, there, it, it's pretty obvious that this youngster gave that up and I don't know what he felt. He became a giver, didn't he? He, he became a giver. And, but he also received. He had a stomach full too, didn't he? Because he was one of those there. He must have had all he wanted. Now, from what is being said, I don't think there's any other food there. There's no indication that anybody else made any offer. So, if you will, this is it. This is, this is what they were fed by. And as that happened, um, when they got all done, what did they do? <laughs> they took those baskets and got 12 basketfuls left over. I wonder where those went. <laughs> Can you imagine the child going home with Two or three baskets. I, I don't know how many could carry. Wouldn't it be something? Hey, Mom, look what I got. Where'd that come from? Well, that's that five loaves and two fish you gave me. 
But the child, the main thing to me is that lad became a giver, didn't he? And he became a giver, and was he blessed? Oh, I'd, like, I'd love to talk to him someday. I, I know that there was a lot of happiness, a lot of joy in that young man. Well, I've got to take you one more place. Luke 12. Uh, I don't know, let's start at 13. The first part's not, it, it kind of sets up the whole thing, but 13. Then one from the crowd. So here we are, Jesus again. A man in a crowd is all upset about the fact of what? Teacher, tell my brother to divide his inheritance with me. So he's all worried about his inheritance. And Jesus said to him, Man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? And he said, and then he said to them, Take, said to who? Everybody there. He said to them, Beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist of the abundance of the things he possesses. Now, if you, don't, if you haven't figured that out, um, when you have the opportunity to help someone who has gotten to the point that they can no longer keep their home or whatever, and you look around, as Pastor said this morning, and there's all of this stuff. What are we going to do with it? I brought my sisters in. I brought my brother in. And we got done. That five loaves and two fish had multiplied to 12 basketfuls. I mean, there was stuff everywhere. And I'm thinking, oh, God, help me. How are we going to do this? And God said, become a giver. And so, my folks made a lot of people happy. Let's read on. He said, take heed and beware of covetous, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Then he spoke a parable then. Now, this is a parable, but let me just say to you, I've worked out in the country enough to know that there's a truth in this, all right? He spoke a parable to them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentiful. And if, you, if you're not aware, not all soil is, is, is made equal. And some people, if you want to find out how good the soil is, just drive through the country and see how big the old homes are. The bigger the home, the better the soil. We have a real way of using God's blessing, don't we? Sounds like we've fallen Solomon. <laughs> he, he had the biggest home ever, okay? The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, what shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? Now, if you're not aware, you know, if you've got a hay crop, you've got a corn crop, and you take it, you've got you to store it in a place that it will keep, and if, if not, it will soon be rotted. You know, moth, rust, mildew, it does corrupt things. And so you've, you've got to take care of it. So rightly so, he's starting to worry about, well, I can't just let this sit out here. So, you know, we've got a Cindy's coming tomorrow, you know. We've got a storm coming up. What are we going to do with all this? So he said, I'll do this. I'll pull down my barns and build greater ones. That's a solution, isn't it? That is a solution. I'll, I'll build greater, and there I will store all my crops and all my goods. Now, what's wrong with that? Here's somebody that God blessed. For what purpose? To be a blessing. And what did he do? He blessed himself. Well, I'm glad we don't do that. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods. You can lay them up for many years. You can just take it easy. You can take your ease. You can drink, eat, drink, and be merry. <laughs> I'm glad we don't do that in America. And God said to him, you're a fool. Now, 
I don't know what you think of when you think of a fool, but I'm thinking of someone that's not too bright. That, that word in, in the Greek really means what they're saying is you're going against what God has for you. Remember, he, he said don't, don't call anybody a fool because what, what that's saying is you're being ungodly. So, in the parable, Jesus said this guy's un, ungodly. He's a fool. This night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will all these things which you have been provided? Who's going to have them then? So is he who lays up treasures for himself that is not rich toward God. And God said for us, if we, we were to lay up our treasures where? In heaven, where no moth, no rust, no corruption. How well are we doing? <laughs> I read through those things of Solomon. I thought, oh, Lord, help me. And so it was bugging me, and I thought it ought to bug you. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Isn't God good? Amen. His word just has a way of putting his thumb right where I am. I'm sure you don't have that problem, but boy, I tell you, he knows what I need. Let's stand. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. It's powerful. <laughs> it's alive. It does just what we need it to do. And I'm trusting tonight, Lord God, as you've spoken to me and spoken to my heart about these things that you've spoken to people here. And Lord, you'll give us what we're to do. Father, help us not to be people who give to those who are going to squander, but we're asking you, Lord, to show us what we're to do. And, and you know what that is. So, Father, I'm asking you as we uh, just take a few moments and recall what you've been saying to our heart here tonight, that, Lord, we will be people who will follow your ways. We'll be people, Lord, who will do uh, your plan. And when you look us in the eye, you won't say, you're a fool. God, help us not to be fools. Help us to follow your ways. Help us to, to do what you give us to do and not what ourselves want to do. So we give you thanks, and we give you praise. Let's take a little time tonight and uh, reflect. If you want to come forward to the altar, it's, it's open, and if we can have a, some music up there, and let's turn the lights down a little bit and give, give ourselves time to think about what God's been saying to us.